book two part one of susan by ernest old meadow this librivox recording is in the public domain dieppe part one saturday night the sight and smell and sound of the glittering tumbling sea must have done me good after last night's and thursday night's bad dreams and worse wakings i ought to be as sleepy as a dormouse yet i feel quite fresh and keen not that to-day has been any great improvement on yesterday and the day before to begin with it put me quite out of temper at traxelby station to see how susan was far too nasty to gibson and how gibson was far too nice to susan and gibson couldn't possibly have been clumsier in his attempt to give me his address on the sly it was a miracle that susan didn't see i kept susan beside me all the way to new haven and also on the boat it was a turbine steamer and the sea was smooth and i ought to have enjoyed the crossing immensely but i didn't of course the reason was susan we hadn't fairly lost sight of that blinding towering white cliff above seaford before susan said tragically in my ear oh miss i have such a dreadful feeling never before have i been cruel to the seasick but it was altogether too much that susan who has always been the best sailor in the world should begin to work up a squeamishness on a turbine with the sun shining and the sea as calm as a pond and no one ill not even the trippers in ready-made yachting suits i felt she was doing it just to be important and interesting and difficult nonsense susan i said quite roughly it's perfectly ridiculous don't think about it and you'll be all right i don't mean that i'm took bad miss said susan and she looked aggrieved probably it was my fancy but in her injured dignity there seemed to be a blend of susan briggs with the future lady ruddington what do you mean then i asked grudgingly she did not answer at once when she did she said mysteriously i've got the feeling miss that-that it's him him yes miss he's kept looking at me ever since we landed on the ship susan shot a swift glance to her right and then with a modest blush resumed her scrutiny of the pattern on the rug across her knees i affected to take an interest in a fishing smack which was fast dropping astern of us and in this way i was able to examine the part of the boat whither susan's glance had winged its coy flight no doubt ever so many people have stayed in town for the harvard and cambridge boat race anyhow there weren't many crossing this morning we were sitting abaft the funnel and there was hardly anybody between our two chairs and the gate leading to the second class the second class deck was fairly full there the poor second sat like animals in a zoo behind a bar for us superior mortals to stare at they were seated oddly on bags or undersized stools so that they looked like wrongdoers in the stocks the very funnel which soared up from the midst of the first-class deck showed its contempt by visiting them with a copious and increasing plague of large black grits until they were sootier than the damned in hell and after all had not each and every one of them committed the deadly sin of being either unwilling or unable to pay the extra half-crown or so which would have made them for three or four glorious hours the equals of such notables as myself and the future lady ruddington they had the air of accepting their punishment as just i picked out two unabashed and unassociated males either of whom might be susan's him keeping my eyes still on the second-class deck but directing my voice towards susan's cheek i asked which the gentleman that's staring so miss can't you see there are two staring 
i said which do you mean is it the one with the peaked cap and the gilt buttons the one that's rubbing the back of his head against the side of the lifeboat oh no miss it's the gentleman with a cigar and the thick stockings the fact that the puffer of the cigar was staring at us without the slightest attempt at dissimulation made it easier for me to take him in from top to toe the top was hidden in a grey cloth cap and the toe in a brown boot of a large size the creature was large-handed large-featured and as i afterwards found large-laughed and large-voiced he wore a grey norfolk jacket and knickerbockers continued downwards by the thick grey stockings which had vied with the cigar in susan's regard there was a bold ring on the little or rather on the smallest finger of his left hand his whole port and mien were idle and evil and never in my life have i seen more horrid legs at a first glance his coarseness was so evidently the coarseness of a low-bred shopman or bookie that i nearly turned on susan to rebuke her sharply for wasting my time but at a second glance i became conscious of a sickening doubt had i not seen this identical coarseness before in very high places apart from his one unilluminating letter to susan all my meagre knowledge of lord ruddington has been collected at second or third hand both alice and i have heard that he is reticent aloof rather studious and the stray reports of him which have reached traxelby have been pretty much to the same effect but our informants may have been wrong or as our information is a year old lord ruddington may have changed for the worse if so he has galloped downhill at the devil's own pace when i had seen a good deal more than enough i turned my back on him pointedly and said to susan move your chair a little the way the boat's going the wind can't hurt you visibly loath susan shifted her chair what makes you think it is he susan i demanded i don't know miss said susan come now there must be something no miss answered susan it's just a dreadful feeling that keeps coming over me then the sooner you put the dreadful feeling on one side the better i said unpleasantly i hardly call it complimentary to lord ruddington that you should mistake him for a man like that susan began her new pout the bride-elect pout that was never in susan's world till last thursday it annoyed me why i said if that's lord ruddington all i can say is that poor gibson is fit to be a duke or a prince beside him susan was touched in a raw place she pouted worse than ever i couldn't help saying one has only to look at his legs i was thinking miss said the bride-elect that they was rather nice she actually turned her head and had begun to take quite a deliberate peep at the rather nice legs when i addressed her sharply susan i said so long as you're with me you'll be so good as to behave yourself properly i'm surprised she recalled her wanton glance at once and blushed suitably and sufficiently gibson is only partly right about susan's head being turned if it were turned more than a very very little she wouldn't be able to obey so fully and promptly and shamefacedly when i whistle her straying fancy back to heel what have you done with those two magazines i asked why don't you read them if you don't look at him he won't look at you my dutiful susan did her best so did i but my best was no better than susan's try as i would i couldn't restrain myself from darting an occasional glance at the brute in grey to see if he was still staring and try as i might i couldn't ignore the fact that susan was doing the same at the end of about ten minutes we did it at the same moment 
you're looking again susan i snapped angrily it was mean of me and dishonest i know besides it was taking an ungenerous advantage of my powers as susan's mistress but i had to save my dignity and susan would have done the same in my place susan hung her head i'm very sorry miss she said i was really trying not to miss but it's such a dreadful feeling i feel as i must look susan i said ingeniously we will suppose just for a moment that the creature is lord ruddington for your sake and his own sake and everybody's sake i hope and believe he isn't but let us suppose he is yes miss said susan patiently susan i put it to you if he is lord ruddington what will he think of you for casting sheep's eyes at him and looking up and looking down and blushing and all the rest of it i don't think it's him as ought to complain miss said susan seeing it's him that's making me do it you don't see what i mean if he's lord ruddington he knows that you're susan and he can hardly help looking at you though i must say he isn't treating you as he would a lady but when it's a case of you looking at him it's different you see you're not supposed to have any idea it's lord ruddington all you've got to go by is a dreadful feeling which is nothing at all so what must he think of you when he sees you making eyes at a perfect stranger he must think you've got glances and blushes for every man who chooses to stare at you susan did not see my point clearly indeed the more i laboured it the less clearly i saw it myself besides if this was really and truly lord ruddington my attempt at crediting him with superfine feelings was either hypothetical or ludicrous i'm very sorry miss said susan from the depths of her immeasurable docility and then we got through another half-hour of pretending to look at magazines while we were cunningly looking at the creature who was fixedly looking at us when it became intolerable i said to susan i'm determined not to move one mustn't even seem to be beaten by such rudeness but do for goodness sake put it out of your head that it can possibly be lord ruddington what would lord ruddington be doing travelling second class i suppose miss answered susan so promptly that she must have already thought it out he's come after me and he thought we shouldn't guess it was him if he rode in the second class i suddenly felt that i had had heaps more than enough of the whole sordid business i had felt for an hour that susan knew a little more than she cared to admit probably she was right and this was indeed lord ruddington if so everything was plain this coarse-grained young rake's desire of susan's country freshness and innocence was something even more detestable than the familiar infatuation of some weedy young lordling with a dressy and exuberant and altogether outrageous chorus girl in town i felt as if a rosy veil of illusion had been drawn away from life and it almost turned me faint and sick the worst of the affair was that susan with her wholesome instincts was not revolted as she ought to have been even by that which she did not understand susan i said abruptly i'm not at all satisfied you keep talking about a dreadful feeling which is all sheer nonsense i feel perfectly certain you know something about that man down there that you haven't told me the only thing miss why didn't you tell me before i didn't think there was anything much in it miss what in what only that he came out through that little gate when you were downstairs miss changing the money it was before they locked the gate before the guard looked at the tickets just after the boat started what did he say to you he didn't say anything miss 
replied susan regretfully all he did was he looked at these bags miss and stood over them till he'd read the names on the labels enough to learn them by heart and where we were going as well it was that that gave me such a dreadful feeling then the guard came and asked him what he was doing in the first class and looked at his ticket and said it would be four and six more and with that he went back again through the gate susan i said i am really very angry you ought to have told me this at once help me to put these things together you know how i hate it but we are going below we didn't go below but we went as far forward as we could and sat gazing southward until a little low moan of joy from a frenchwoman at my side told me that she had caught sight of the faint white ramparts of france as the cliffs rose higher from the sea and spread widelier to the east and west my spirits rose and expanded with them if lord ruddington was following us there was his insult to me as well as his designs upon susan to be dealt with so long as we were cramped up on a ship he had the advantage of us but with the hugeness of france unfolding before me i felt myself his match and began spoiling for a fight i didn't have to wait long as we entered dieppe harbour a sailor unlocked the gate of the second-class pen and the inmates streamed out all over the main deck susan was for hurrying to swell the serried mess of britons who invariably fight like bushmen to be first on the gangway but i kept her in her place and we were among the last to disembark ruddington if it's truly he was waiting for us at the customs he had got his own bag passed and chalk-marked already i was prepared for developments but not for what actually followed ignoring me with the coolest insolence he marched straight up to susan clawed carelessly at his cloth cap and said can i be of any assistance susan shrank under my wing all crimson confusion i turned on him sharply what is it you want i demanded he coloured up having i suppose some poor remnant of shame after all then he stammered i thought i might be of some assistance thank you i said none is needed and i turned my back when we had got everything through we went into the buffet and drank thin tea out of thick cups while he stood at the bar with a long glass of something and soda susan had been so thoroughly cowed into speechlessness and good behaviour that i was able to take counsel with myself in peace we had deposited the trunks in the consigne until monday the day i had intended to resume the journey to st veronique the bags were piled at susan's feet labelled with the labels he had so coolly looked at i wished my writing wasn't so legible no doubt he had memorized the address hotel du cheval d'or dieppe all the way to new haven in the train my poor little weekend timetable had seemed so lovely saturday four p m arrive at the cheval d'or four fifteen p m a bath and a change five p m a peek into st jacques and une petite promenade along the front six thirty p m a short and early dinner with a sole normande a caneton rouennais a bit of neufchatel cheese some wild strawberries and a broad-based high-soaring unemptiable carafe of cider eight p m this diary with i devoutly hoped not a word in it about susan nine p m bed sunday a little dash upon rouen a run around the churches and back for seven o'clock dinner at the cheval d'or monday eight thirty a m depart for st veronique but now the dream was shattered the guilt was off the cheval d'or and he was the one horse in all france that i might not mount 
i sat and debated whether it would be best to go to one of the other dieppe hotels sending the cheval d'or the price of the rooms by post or to climb straight into the paris train and spend the night in rouen at last i decided we had better stick to dieppe and go to the astor where their idea of welcoming you to normandy is to try and make you believe you're at the carlton and where you can't drink cider without feeling that you're a perfect monster of parsimony it was maddening but it had to be faced he drained the last drop of his something and soda and strode out quickly with his bag doubtless to entrench himself in good time at the cheval d'or when he was safely off the premises i went to the platform door to find a porter behind the excited crowd of officials who implore you to take your seat for paris i espied their rivals that silent band with the names of hotels gilt-lettered on their caps whose dumb eloquence pleads with you to remain in dieppe i had almost caught the astor man's eye when a face i dimly remembered pushed itself into sight the face looked at me from under a cap inscribed hotel du cheval d'or it was pierre that best of porters he knew me i was too late i've learned a lesson and drawn a moral whenever i've forgotten or been too lazy to write beforehand to an hotel i never once remember coming to the smallest harm but whenever i've been a paragon of methodicalness and have given two or three days notice how often haven't i found myself shoved away into a back room or an annex if only i hadn't wired to the cheval d'or last night i could have tossed pierre a pleasant look and have gone off to the astor leaving ruddington all alone in his glory pierre had us and our bags in his omnibus in a twinkling and five minutes later we were in the very muzzle of the cheval d'or out flew madame legendre all smiles and hearty welcomes and it is the simple literal truth that at the same moment justine was hailing a perfectly adorable new plucked caneton into her kitchen by his neck something forced me to glance up to the sunny stuccoed walls and snowy curtained casements of the main hotel building on the left-hand side of the court a man was leaning out of a second-floor window when he caught sight of me he swiftly drew in his head it was he my mind made itself up in a moment i plunged boldly into an extensive and variegated falsehood i declared that when i telegraphed last night i didn't know that some great friends of mine were at the astor it was the greatest disappointment to me not to stay as arranged at the cheval d'or on my way back to england from st veronique i would be sure to pay madame legendre at least a week's visit meanwhile could madame as an exceptional favour allow pierre to carry us around to the astor the long and short of it is that so far i have outwitted him and here i am spending my first french night in an english hotel as one might as well be damned for fifty fibs as for one i have told madame legendre that i want to pass all my time with my friends here at the astor and that if any one who knows me inquires ever so pressingly she isn't to acknowledge that she has the faintest idea where i've gone she's promised as for pierre i have bought him body and soul for ten francs cash down and if ruddington begins asking questions he'll be told that the english lady and her maid have changed their minds and gone on to paris alas poor dreams i have just eaten a paris dinner and have sent it down with london claret and i am going to sleep in an english bedroom instead of in a french one 
i did so want a french one with a curtained bed and pudgy quilt and an empire mirror over the mantelpiece to say nothing of a gilt clock and two bronze horses and four or five nice pious pictures of martyrs all stuck full of arrows but one can't have everything and it's enough for me that i've beaten ruddington to-day as i shall beat him to-morrow and every other day until i can believe that he's something better than a libertine cad he's done me one good turn at any rate scribbling down all this has made me deliciously drowsy so now to make up all those arrears of sleep end of book two part one